Welcome to the Mega Blast Podcast. I'm your host, Jason McDonald. My goal is to get to the truth through conversation. The Mega Blast Podcast is produced by Arts and Opinion, an online journal housed at the Archives of Canada. Visit us at artsandopinion.com. I hope you enjoy today's guest. Liz, Liz Hodgson, thank you for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes. Okay. Um, so the purpose of uh, today's discussion is to talk about um, gender and the culture and things like feminism, you know, where things are in 2022. So I thought I would start with the Me Too thing and um, what its effects are. And I want to start with what are the good things about Me Too? Like, what was good about it in your view? Because it can't all be negative, right? There must be something there. I mean, we can talk about the negative points later, but if you were going to steal man the Me Too thing, what would you give me like a, like a two minute summary of why it's something that was good? What would you say? Oh, wow. Well, no, it was amazing. It was amazing to see the despicable, despicable Harvey Weinstein finally get his comeuppance. I mean, that was, that was- He's a monster. I mean, the guy's a monster, right? Monster, monster, a sociopath. Then, like you have with many of these movements, it starts to get a little bit weaponized by people with personality disorders. And also people get very addictive to victory. So, you know, you have a victory, you bring down Harvey Weinstein, everything's great. And then you say, who's next, who's next? Sort of like, I don't know, this might be too much of an aside, but I'll try and sum it up as quickly as possible. That Kate Baker incident that happened in Colorado. Here you have this uh, couple, they're getting married, they go into, this bakery and they say, we need a cake. And the baker says, well, you can buy a cake, but I can't decorate it for you because it's the same sex marriage against my religion. Couples incensed. And then they take it on this uh, judicial odyssey that makes it all the way to the Supreme Court and things are awarded in favor of the baker. In the meantime, bakers had his life turned upside down, ruined so much expense. And apparently this couple is still dogging this poor baker. And it's like, you, you know, you had all of these victories and then it's the same in climate change, with climate change, ecology, clean up the earth, get rid of pollution. Don't dump your crap in the rivers and lakes. I, I love so, that, that's fantastic. I'm an, I'm, an eco, I'm an eco cheapskate from the get go. I like vinegar, deeper than Windex, hello. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, we have to change how every man, woman, and child on the surface of this planet heats their uh, dwelling. And well, it's in other like, words, if, if, I could, if I could just jump in, apologies. I just sorry. Want to it's okay. Ring me in, ring me in, <laughs> blah, 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 ADD. ADD. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, you know, because it's, it's a really interesting proposition. So, so there's a victory. So the idea is that uh, there's a cause to say that gay marriage, like gay people have a right to um, 
have the same type of representation in love and marriage as straight people, which I think, in my view, is perfectly um, understandable. You that conflicts, right? In my view, but that conflicts with that particular baker has a different religious view, right? Um, so and thinks and and says, "I'll bake you the cake, but not do the decoration." So then that goes, and the 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 the, the gay rights side wins. As if I understand you correctly, right? Is that is that that's what happened? The the, the Supreme well, well, the, the, the order the the baker to to make the cake with the um, the gay sex on the uh, on the cake. Is that no? I think oh, I think ultimately <laughs> what happened was it's probably just two guys in a in a bridal gown or groom gown or something like that, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that. That's another, it's a can of worms, but. No, I'm, I'm just I trying saw, to understand, like, the, did the Supreme Court order the baker to do it, right? No, the Supreme Court found in favor of the baker because of it's baker. that freedom okay. of religion that's, that is enshrined in their constitution. Oh, but, okay. I but see. just to get back, get, yeah. to get back to the May, you have this incredible victory. No longer will monsters like Harvey Weinstein roam free. Of course, it's not true. They're still out there in Hollywood. Hollywood is a disgusting cesspool. <laughs> I get, we're going to get now, back to that later in the discussion about how repulsive Hollywood is because it's 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 absolutely accused of Hollywood is just like <laughs> it's like what? But uh, but okay. But so, just to give you an example ahead, of yeah. how these things go awry and how the victories are pyrrhic and. So for example, um, the proto Me Too here in Canada, you'll recall is Giancarlo Meschi. Yeah. And he was like the guy who was so worshiped by the country, by the CDC. The, C the CDC kept on lifting his boat higher and higher and higher. He, he had become this huge star, he was untouchable. And then he was brought down by uh, um, a blogger, basically a podcaster, Jesse Brown, and an ex-employee, Kat Morrill. And they had been, speaking of embers, they've been blowing, blowing on this ember until it finally caught, caught fire. But what was interesting is the CDC, which is this um, bastion of political correctness, of tolerance, diversity, inclusion, et cetera, um, they had all been happening under their nose. They were really slow to react to it. It was a huge embarrassment for them. And then what happened after that? Well, somebody in their news division, I can't remember which show it was, was it um, one of their shows, investigative reporting show, they wanted the Me Too scandal. So they put the word out among their producers saying, you got a Me Too scandal. And what did they do? They went after Soul Pepper and the, the, the creative mind that invented Soul Pepper, Albert Schultz, right? And they said, yeah, you know, I've heard he's pretty touchy-feely. And they took the guy down. So they were but, uh, in let's, search. Let's just stop for a second on the Giangle Meshi thing. Um, from, I just want to make sure that the facts are- We could do three like, shows about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just to be clear, I mean, he appears to have been a sicko monster, I think, if I understand, unless all of those women are lying, right? I mean, these stories- Oh, Gianco Meshi is a sociopath. Yeah. Okay, he was I mean, guilty. Just, just, I wanted to make sure that was clear to people listening, that he's the sicko who would attack. He, he seems to have gotten off 
on bringing these beautiful women home who were all into him because he was this big star and then literally physically assaulting them when they weren't expecting yeah. it, you know? And so yeah. real, I mean, just stuff that just makes your hair stand on end. At one point when he turned the teddy bear, there was a teddy bear in the room. Uh, yeah. And he said, oh, you know, Googles or Giggles or whatever, shouldn't see this, you know? And then he punched whoever it was. I was like, whoa, this guy is like, you know, they're like, Blue Velvet. It reminded me of uh, if you've ever seen Blue Velvet, um, Dan uh, yeah. character, just an absolute sicko, misogynist freak. Now, yeah. point is a very good one, which the CBC is uh, a bastion of left-leaning, you know, woke, all this kind of stuff. It has been for I don't know how long. It seems like it's gotten much more so in the past while. And they, and from what I've heard, I have a, a note about this. I have a friend here in Montreal who. Um, has a lot of connections with what he calls the CBC mafia. And he says that everybody knew about him being like this for a mm. long time. I, I don't know if that's true. Like in the CBC. Oh, yes, it's true. It's true. You know, it's, true? it's the Overton window. It's the Overton window of cognitive dissonance because one part of your brain sees a giant star. He's a good looking guy. He has all of the progressive bona fides. He went to York University and with a minor in women's studies, came off as Mr. Sensitive. He really hid behind all those progressive values. And then, you know, the truth always comes out. But it was really the Overton window because I remember, I, I briefly worked on Q uh, 10 uh -huh. years ago. And I remember um, a friend was in town for a wedding and the, one of the guests at that, that, he was staying with me. And one of the guests at that wedding was Kat Borrell, who was the producer that ultimately brought Gomeshi down. Wow. Um, she was at the party and she said to him, my friend, um, something about the intern coming into work and having to wear a scarf to hide the bruises on her neck. Wow. And when wow. Kieran told me that, um, it just went like this. Like, I sort of just thought, idle gossip, not true, can't be true. I, well, I, it well, didn't, yeah, I it mean, didn't... why would it? I mean, it's it, it could be gossip. And also, there's no proof. If I mean, even if a, a few women were to say that, you could say, you know, I, for me, because even when the first accusations started coming out, I remember think, I remember having some discussions with, with my neighbor at the time, one of Fanny's friends, my wife's friends. And we were like, come on, this can't really be true that these, you know, these women have something to gain, blah, blah, blah. And then as it kind of continued, it became, okay, this is, there's no way anyone can deny. I, I, I didn't have a dog in the fight. I, I don't listen to that stupid show or anything or, you know, but I just kind of thought like, I, if you're going to make accusations like that, they should be true. And then it turned out they were true. Um, you know, so I don't know if that's Overton window more than just, you know, it's sort of like you hear something about something negative and you think, well, people have interests they could gain, they could get a financial settlement that could be like, that does happen, right? And that's a, a real problem in- um, You can usually tell though, like that, like Elon Musk is a great example because they've been trying to bring him down. The New York Times has been trying to do hit pieces on him and stuff because they don't like his politics. They don't have anything on him. They the, 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 No, there was- there was right? one story, there was one story, and the woman, I think, made an accusation, and she got 250 grand. That is on its face, most obvious shakedown, go away money. If you want to make the claim, you are guaranteed 250K. 
if yeah. it's if it actually happened, it's true, you'll get more. But if you're just getting 250k, that is a red <laughs> flag that you're a fucking liar. I, as you said a minute ago, the truth always comes out. I think that's what happened with Gomeshi. And I think if someone like Musk is uh, a sicko like Gomeshi is, it'll come out eventually, right? Yeah, and he's not. It's he's a similar not. thing. Yeah, from what I understand, um, just at risk of getting into the political a little bit, but Clarence Thomas, from what, I, from what I've understand about those accusations when he was being confirmed in 1990, that they, for you know, they appear to be just some sort of vendetta against it because there never was a single other woman. Who, there was no other thing. It was only this one case by this one woman, and she apparently didn't want her name to be revealed to him, which made no sense because it was like the accusations were made for a certain period of time, and she was the only woman who worked in the office, right? So he, you know, it was completely the whole thing didn't make any sense, right? But that. Oh. Yeah, but you know yeah. something about the left is they're extremely racist bunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, in that case, I think racism, I mean, was quite in evidence in, in, um, in that particular case, in the case of Thomas. He was- Oh he, yeah, you, you stay in your place. You stay in your exactly. place, that's how they think. Yeah. And, and so you and have to have these views. Him? If you're black, you have to have these views and he didn't yeah. have <laughs> right you know which is like wow how racist is that right it's like, you know you see mr sulu talking about uh, uh clarence thomas in the no. last couple of days no Ugh, that was uh, the amount of racism that has been skewing out of the left's mouth these last few days has well you would go pale and it's been like I'm not paying much attention. I'm trying to avoid all of this stuff because it's just it's. Oh, I've turned it off too. But yeah, the N I mean, word, the N word out of white wow. people's mouths, and this Mister, what the hell is that, Mister Sulu's name? He's from oh, uh, Star Trek. George Takai from uh, from Star Trek. You talking about George? Yeah. Takai. Yeah, Takai. Yeah. I actually love to mention it, but just called him something, something, something in blackface, and it was like. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now you're showing your true colors here. Yeah. Um. Just to quickly close up the thought about Clarence Thomas, I want to get back to the Gian Gomeshi and other stuff. Is Thomas Sowell wrote an entire essay about um about him and talked about how he people say that he's completely, you know, um, he 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 does he doesn't tight he's not sociable and he's reclusive and doesn't want to spend time with people and all this and that was his image for a long time but it turns out that he go he he loves going and talking to regular people he he would take his rv out to little walmart parking lots in missouri sit there and just hang out and talk to people he loved being around people what he didn't like was hanging around with all the socialites in washington he couldn't see <laughs> so, so he's this so-called recluse it's like no he doesn't like your people is what he doesn't like you know and so for that he's a recluse um he also has a very interesting um thinking about um he's he, another accusation is that he doesn't um speak uh, to to you to explain when there's a hearing going on he doesn't and all the rest of them they they give their opinions and juridical views and blah 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 and stuff and it turns out the reason that he doesn't talk when a when a when a, a person giving testimony is giving testimony is because they have I think it's thirty minutes and the interruptions are not subtracted, 
So he's thinking, I'm going to let this person talk for the full 30 minutes and I'm not going it's like, to, it's like this good reason and nobody, and he, he, and he does it and he doesn't get any credit from these people. These people who are loudmouth inter interrupters get more, get more credit than some guy who's actually doing it for a reason of justice. You know, it's very, anyway. Um, the accusations against um, against people like Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas, have always uh, have you know taken a long time for me to understand how mostly baseless they are. Really, they're basically partisan. You know. Um, okay. That's where uh, um, that's where Breitbart was born. It really? was from that because yeah. Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart, was born. They 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 talk about being born into a left-leaning or liberal environment where he refers to it as your factory settings. He, 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 was in, he, grew, he was born in LA. I don't know if he's born there, but he was in LA and it was, you know, it was just sort of an expectation. It was factory settings. And then it came down to the, these hearings and he was like, wait, what's the accusation? And then, you know, if you've got a thinking brain, you can go, okay, Whoa. This doesn't sound like a hill of beans. Yeah. And, and, but everyone else is like, it's sort of like, are you going to think about the information that's coming at you? Right. You can't, right. you can't critically discern all of it. Some things you're going to have, some, some things the New York Times say you're going to have to take on face value, right? But some things you have to say, stop vetting your tracks and go, is that true? Because mm -hmm. everyone's telling me, everyone's telling me that. This is the 90s. I'm in university. All these women around me are losing their minds, losing their minds. And I, I wasn't really that interested, you know? So neither was I at the time. I've only learned these things subsequently. I didn't pay much attention to it at the actual when it was actually happening. Um, yeah, we only say only starting to realize now things about like well, we're Canadian, right? We didn't grow up thinking yeah. about the Supreme Court and what it meant. Now we're, yeah. we're so exposed to it, and now we realize that it actually it is, is important. Um, yeah, and yeah, and it has its implications. But it was like, had I cared, if I care now, to stop and think, is what they're telling me what I'm being told true? Prior to March 2020. I could, I felt like I could discern and accept a lot more. Mm, yeah, now, I literally accept no narrative. If they tell me mm. that, you know, uh, if they tell me that chocolate milk doesn't come from chocolate cows, I will have to investigate that myself. <laughs> so funny that is, that's, it's like, that's a good one. i'm gonna remember that one uh no, but it, it's, i literally don't believe a word yeah. everything is on everything I, I i don't take anything at face value in, nothing until, until, well, just, just to make clear what you're saying I, if i understand it right until you can confirm it somehow until you can know that it is true because it could be true whatever they're saying if they say chocolate milk absolutely chocolate cows you could presumably go and learn how chocolate milk is made and there is a, a truth there I mean, it's, it's not yes. a, a fun, a stupid thing to say, but if, if it were something like that, I mean, you could go and find the truth out of it and you could find it. Yes, in fact, it is true what they're saying, but you you should not take what they're saying at what anyone says, really. I mean, it's what like anything we, we're saying right now, anyone listening to this, 
if we say something that sounds wrong, please go and investigate it. And if, and if I made a mistake in something, you know, I'd love to hear about it in the comments and everything and all that. So um, now something being one of the problems in our time is there, there are things that are true and then there are ways of looking at those truths. And I think that this is the, the crux of the issue between, I think this is what um, that, press secretary meant in some senses when she said alternative facts. I think it's kind of like you can take yeah. and you can look at it from a different angle and it, it will look completely different, right? If, that was Kellyanne Conway. Was that who it was? Yeah. She's yeah. pretty smart overall. She's been somewhat maligned by the... By, by the oh, so maligned. Yeah. So maligned. Even by her own husband. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to just quickly linger on her for a second. Do you think her being female has any, just because it's our theme, has any import to that? Or do you think that's just incidental? Her, her being maligned by the, or does it not matter just because she's a right-wing hater and they hate her for that? I don't know. Is that? I don't know. They, if, if that's the case too, then you could say that they might be actually going easier on her because the current press secretary for Biden right now. I mean, she's a disaster. You know, she's not good at what she does. That's the black one? She's the black one? That's a beautiful, beautiful woman. Face. Yeah, she's black, right? Yeah, and she seems yeah. like a very nice person, but she's, mm, she's not, she's yeah. people-minded. She's not quick on her feet. She has none of the, um, she doesn't have, she doesn't tick any of the boxes of that job, which yeah. you have to be quick on your feet and very knowledgeable and- Well, you you know that you see a good one. Uh, Ari Fleischer, I think was one. If you watch sure. carefully, he, he would he would listen to questions because the reporters are really smart. So they ask these, they ask a question, he'll, he'll answer it saying, this is our answer, blah, blah. And if someone would ask another question that sounds like it's kind of related, but it's actually the same question. If you really listen to the question, they'll say, as I said a minute ago. <laughs> they all do that. You just stick to things. And it was like, wow, this guy is really listening and basically sticking to a single thing without getting caught. You know, and it, it, it must take like an ironclad sort of discipline to go up. Mm -hmm. Those reporters, I mean, they are smart. They are, you know, they have what Thomas Sowell calls verbal virtuosity. They can take words and sort of twist them around to be a yeah different and everything and that's their job that's what they're supposed to do right so it just to get back to this woman you're talking about if she's not able to glom onto that very well it's it can just be a disaster because you can you can just be hooked into these rabbit holes by them bill and that's that's what they're supposed to do right i mean there's some, yeah the no one talks about it much because the whole administration is such a disaster right yeah <laughs> yeah she it's, it's kind of a uh thing Okay, um, let, let me, uh, I want to get back. So that's sort of steel man's, the, 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 um, the Me Too movement. It, it seems like it's something, um, there, there really are some of these monsters, Django Meshi and uh, Harvey Weinstein. There's a bunch of others we could probably name. Bill Cosby, just, I mean, he's sort of been expelled from polite discussion. I think yeah. maybe good reason. I mean, the guy turned out to be also a monster. Now, then you get down, as the accusations, it became a moral panic. So it kind of cascaded yeah. down to the eventual bad date. That What's his name? That, that, that Saturday Night Live actor, Azari, what was his name? 
Oh, man. Yeah, I don't like that guy, but no, I, I know. But but basically, he went. I'll just explain to the listeners. He went out with a woman, and he was having dinner with her, and they went back, and they started making out, and then they started sort of playing around, and then she said, "Oh no, I don't know," and then it kind of. So he's like, "Okay, I'm sorry," or whatever, and then he left. It was just one of these situations, like, "Oh boy, that sounds like not a good scene." And then she accused him of being this whatever, like assaulting her, and it was just like, if you actually read the facts of the case from her account, from what she said, it sound it was a bad date. It was a bad date, right? Yeah, it was right. a bad date. That's all and it also, was, right? He kind of, well, I don't really, in some ways, blame either of them because, I mean, no, I do, but we've so much created the environment from this. You get, right. I'm sorry, and he's a little bit like Gian Gomeshi. That's so interesting. Never thought of that. It's, it's, it's an interesting observation. He's also uh, a, a South Asian origin. South Asian, feels like yeah. an outsider, yeah. hides behind his feminist bona fides. Let's, both of them self-declared feminists. Um, you know, and he's kind of a short guy. So, and then the culture. So this is a guy who, what was his... What was his pickup game before he got his Netflix special? I would say it was probably one notch above begging, right? And then all of a sudden he's at a, he's at a party. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just so funny. <laughs> it's like, what was he doing before he became famous on Saturday Night Live to get dates? Well, he got down on his hands and knees and begged women to go out with him, right? <laughs> Please. Poor guy. And then he's a star, right? Then he's well, now he's got this really cute girl yeah. and she's blowing off her date and so that she can go out with him because he's famous. And so that environment created it. And plus, like you're you're on your first date. I'm old fashioned. Taking your clothes off on your first date is a bad idea. I would advise against it. Don't do yeah. it. Yeah. And especially when there's alcohol involved. And I tell this to my son too, by the way. Be Don't do that. Yeah. And um, that sex, sex is not free. It's not easy. Uh, it has a price, yeah. and we don't teach that anymore. And it's it, and it causes pain, intense pain, and in some cases, it causes death. It causes tragedy. So she was misguided. If, if I can just interject. If I could just quickly just put a, a parenthesis on that, it, it, that, that's all true, but it's also a lot of fun. And I think you and I would both agree sex is something we enjoy doing. At least I do. Right? Oh. I mean, like, I, I don't want to make it sound to our listener, listeners like, you know, like sex is this horrible thing. It's just that being sex. Of course, it's beautiful. Not right. It's great. It's, it's something fun. Oh. You know, uh, yeah, okay, so I just wanted to... Yeah, break. I'm not some spinster here. <laughs> yeah, 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 but, but I... I die a virgin. Yeah, no, well, I, I'm, I think I'm obviously... What, what you're saying is an interesting point, that a value to say to young people, hey, sex is great, you can have a good time doing it, just be careful with when you're going to do it and who you're going to do it with. Yeah. Not a crazy message to tell a young person. And yet in the in the world today, if you say that, oh my God, you're a prude or you're this, it's like, no, not necessarily. Maybe maybe it's I just wanted to bracket that because I think it's an important point to make to people. It but, is, it is important. Um, but but anyway, you wanted to finish a thought about Azeri um and the date you were talking about, the just the 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 me too thing there that happened. So yeah. and then he is a guy who 
obviously he's got a, he's got a powerful sex drive. Like he's a man and um, he go, he, remember that old saying that women give love to get sex and men give, no, men give love to get sex and women give sex to sex get, to get love. love. I've never heard that, but that's a really interesting observation on the sex is very pertinent to our discussion today, just about, you know, different views of sexuality by males and females, you know. Yeah. Yes, and, and then, so you have this potent male sex drive, and then, you know, maybe he as an animal has learned a few tricks to say, I can salt and pepper it and sweeten it up with some expensive red wine and some uh, Beaujolais and uh, my beautiful apartment, but, you know, really all I want to do is fucking throw this girl on the bed and drill her one and then call her an Uber. And and then, so that the the communication gets, lines of communication get lost. He's kind of taking her on your word. You're in my apartment. You have no clothes on. I didn't force you here. I didn't move you. So- And he, just to be clear, just, just to be clear about what happened, as far as I understand, once she started to protest, he basically said, okay, I'm, you know, as, as I understand. Sort of he did. Yeah, sort of he, he did. Backed I off read and then that, she left. That's how, that's the account I read. That, that he was kind of coming at her. And, her I know, something, I, and then she said, oh, no, I don't know. And then he got up or something like that, you know, and then she left. Well, that's, of course he did. Of course he did. Yeah. But Well, not I of just, course. I mean, I mean, Harvey Weinstein would have raped her, right? I mean, just yeah. distinguished like, like his behavior compared to other Me Too people, right? Oh, yay. I'm sorry. Right. You're not a rapist. Good yeah. for you. Well, yeah. Well done. Like, I mean, I just, I, the reason I'm, I'm being so charitable is that if I, if I understood the account right, that could have been a lot of dates with a lot of guys. You know, like it could have been, it, it sounded like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was more forcing than I had understood, but it sounded like it just started to go the wrong way and she started to get nervous. And then basically, he backed off and she left more or less. I mean, I'm, you know, Do you know how many of these guys that get accused of rape and it turns out where they had no idea yeah, that's what was happening. Yeah. They thought I thought she consented. I, they really didn't know they participated in a crime. That's yeah. how confusing. So, yeah. So that was not. This was not that. This was that they that she did make her protestations known to him at some point, as I understand. Yeah, make that. I don't know. Maybe he's yeah. one chromosome away from being a full blown rapist. Who knows? He's got that rapey energy. He's just a guy who he's. He wants sexual satis- satisfaction and he doesn't really have the faculties to regulate that. How does that saying go? I think it was Erasmus who said, wise is the man that lets reason rule his desires. And then I don't know who came back with the man who lets reason rule his desires has weak desires. Mm-hmm. So you have this really horny little guy and He's trying really hard to be suave and smooth and it just the not working. It's not working really. I mean, and on her, she didn't seem very, from what I understand, she wasn't really that into it. Right. That's kind of how I read it. Right. Uh, she was into the guy on the Netflix special. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And maybe she was a little bit into it, you know, yeah. and then maybe she just felt like his, bulldog 
anyway. Let, let me ask you this. Let, let me ask you this. Do you think there was some sort of um, line, even a very little small crossing with him that he, maybe he went too far with her? Do you think there's anything, or do you think that it was, because my, my view is it was basically just a bad date and that, you know, because it sounds like you think that he, he was being more aggressive than I had thought he was. So maybe I don't have all the facts. I don't know. Um, or what is your opinion? Well, I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't think he should be charged with a crime or anything. Okay, fair enough. So there's no, there's no actual rape rape if you were to, what about a moral, like, I mean, you as a woman, if you were in that situation, would you, would you have felt that he had not violated, but he had pushed too far and you would feel a little bit of, you know, abuse? It would have been really, for me, it would have been really simple. I got myself, that guy's a creep. Um, and I got myself in there. Smarten up. Don't put yourself in dangerous situations. Don't walk down back alleys. Don't drink too much. Don't so, 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 so you would have taken vulnerable. It, so you would have taken Life is, right, not as as a kind of a lesson of like, oh boy, I made a, I should not have gone back to his apartment with him. That was a mistake that I made. Something like that, right? Is that yes. interrupt? But yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, like this is the thing: is that life is uh, perilous. There's so many perils out there and you have to keep your wits about you. And, and this funny, it kind of like really is a dividing line because, you know, some women would take offense to what I'm saying there. They'd say, well, why don't we tell men to be less aggressive? And it's like, yeah, well, guess what? We fucking do all the time. Men are trained from birth to be gentle with women, to be fragile, the ultimate crime. Jason, I can walk up to you on, God, at Sherbrooke Street, right nice, in front of nice. everybody. You're thinking Montreal, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I can wind up and I could punch you in the nose. I could break your nose. The blood could be flowing down and there might be a few shocked looks and you might say, ow, oh, Liz, fuck. But would you hit me back? Probably no fucking not. way. I, I would be, I mean, if it was you personally, I would think what's wrong with my friend. If it was a stranger, I, I would probably think I better get away from this person because she's- Yeah, you run, yeah. Some, yeah nobody I mean, would I, call I, the cops yeah. on your behalf. Nobody, yeah. nobody would call yeah. the cops on your behalf. Somebody might hand you a Kleenex, but right. Right. Yeah. like it, there would be no, no ramifications for the person who did that. Try the reverse. Yeah. You would be tackled to the ground. The and I should be. I, should, I mean, if, if you, I were to do that to you on the street, someone yes. tackling me, you know. You'd be, immediate, you'd be immediately yeah. arrested. Several yeah. people would call 911. You would be in a cell until somebody bailed you out. You would be charged with assault. So give me a break, right? So, I mean, so, this is what... So what you're talking about is really interesting, is it? Because I, I want to return to this a little bit later, but let me talk a little bit about it now in relation to this Gomeshi, this um, Azari thing. Is the way that boys and girls are socialized and the system we have is very um, female oriented in many respects, right? Like in the sense that yes. it assumes that that men are stronger than women and men can hurt women, which is technically true, right? And that men have, in, uh, sometimes do in fact assault women and rape them. And so that's something- Of course. Attentive to, and it happens. And if we have zero tolerance to it because it's something that should not, you know, 
Um, and it, it seems to have spilled over into um, a thing where, because what we're talking about here is you're talking about women as active agents. So the, if, I, if I go back to the woman, the, the, uh, the, the, the date, uh, I don't know her name of Azari, you're viewing her as an independent person who can make her own decisions. And that if you were in that, if in that personhood, you would think, oh my God, I shouldn't be, I should not have come up to this place. This is too soon. I should get out of here and go off and just try not to do it again because I'm an independent agent who controls my life, right? It seems like the view that somehow he is the one, like the idea that while well, men should control themselves is, is sort of moving along the lines where she's not really capable of making those decisions. And the man must be the one who makes all the decisions all the time, including not to touch and whatever, like not to try and get some action or it seems it, to me, it seems to remove agency from women. Does that make sense from you? Like, like the idea that it should be him completely who should never have done anything. And that she has, you know, do, do you follow? Does that make any sense? Well, I don't, okay. I don't, I don't know much about this woman. I don't know how she grew up, but, and I don't have all of the data at my fingertips, but as much as boys need fathers in the house to curtail their testosterone, girls need dads in the house to warn them and to say, look, I'm a man. I know what goes on up here. And the, the men have been emasculated, their power attenuated, and many times absent from the house, not spending enough time with their daughters. And getting back to the Gomeshi um, uh, story, um, one of the women that, that he, you know, tried to pull his bullshit on, um, she said to him, what are you doing? Like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go out with you again. You're creepy. And I think her brother and her father were both cops. Wow. And she came from a household where there was a lot of testosterone, strong men who had sort of um, staked Wait. everything on protecting yeah. women. And, you know, there's a lot of these women out there. They don't have fathers in the house. And it's really sad. So there's nobody there to say, watch out. And I have heard now, like I said, I don't have this, these stats at my fingertips, but the incidence of these, these assaults and the incidence of promiscuity, they tend to go up when the fathers aren't around. And I think that's, so you've heard it too. Yeah, I think that's one of the problems. Oh, yeah, if, if I could just speak a little bit about that. I think it was Jordan Peterson was talking about it. They've done studies and they found that yeah. within a prison or something, he went in and studied, or someone did, one of his colleagues, male sex offenders. And, and, and so, and like, and they would show them photographs of women and say, what kind of woman would you assault? And they would typically, they tend to choose, just by looking at pictures, girls but the the way they were walking and stuff who had had absent fathers like there was something about there was something just about because the, the, a sexual uh, you know a, um, a rapist he goes out he's going to rape a woman he's going to choose a woman to rape in some senses right it sounds sick but i mean he's, he's no a, it's true it's true and so he's he's going to use certain criteria he probably doesn't know what those criteria are but they seem to be dependent on how girls and women 
have been raised often that they can, the way they will present themselves in the, themselves in the world, which is exactly what you're getting at. It's a very, it's a very sad commentary on um, girls not having enough um, paternal influence, let's say, something like that, right? Yeah, to warn you off, to warn you off. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that every girl who grew up without a, a strong father figure is going to become a victim or uh, promiscuous. You know, they can find a, that strength for sure. But there's nothing, it's sort of like, a, it's, it's on a visceral level. It's on a subconscious or, or gut level. And it's the same where boys can be, can be raised without fathers. And they can lead productive, successful lives. Perfectly possible. But it's so much easier when there's a father around. It's easier for everybody because it's sort of like just instant. I've seen so it. Visceral, I, I, have, I, I want to just talk about this visceral thing for a second. Because I want, I, I want to explore what it means. So the visceral view of the boy or the girl that that, that boy or girl gets from a father or, or a male a male figure, because it could be an uncle. It could be, you know, the, the, the studies show that it doesn't- Oh yeah, our brothers. It brothers, could be a stepfather, it could be older, but yeah, a male figure yeah. around who's there to kind of guide you. So basically the, the visceral sense on the girl's side would be when they're looking around in the world to identify the kind of men who may be harmful to them. It's one visceral thing. Another might be how they present themselves in the world will just, um, you know, exp push that away too, possibly. Is that what you mean? Or they'll just look, they, they, like a, this girl who, you know, resisted uh, Gomeshi and said, no, I, I don't like what you're all about. I mean, right. she right. had these strong men in her life that, that sort of taught her, look, you want to be high hanging fruit. Right. You know, right. you want to make yourself elusive. You want to let them know where you stand and that you're and, and that you're valuable, that you have value. Yeah. You're not you're not someone who can be treated badly. Right. That you. Yes. Now, just to just and then, to ask something. If that gets about, reinforced, yeah, go ahead. That gets, well, if that gets reinforced with the idea that you've got like some strong men around you that are protecting you already. Uh, it kind of gives you a little bit of confidence and um, a presence in the world. Like I'm here, I'm not going to be bowled over. I'm not so, mm. and that you're going to be strong. You're going to stand up. You're going to fight. You're not going to roll over. Right. Can I ask you something about that, um, that particular case, like with that, with that woman with Gomeshi, did he actually assault her and then she just decided not to go on a second date or, do you know, any, I'm just curious to know what happened because I know in some cases he actually did the, the one from trailer park boys, the, um, I forget her name now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 When she was actually assaulted by him. That, that's the that's the oh, no he insu insulted he assaulted these women they start to make out and the next thing you know his hand was around their neck and they couldn't breathe so did and that happen to that this woman you're talking no no, no but didn't go that far like because i'm wondering like maybe maybe she prevented it just by kind of reading his signals and leaving or i, I don't know i'm trying to fit it into well, that happened countless times <laughs> countless times women women did this. I think he particularly liked this girl. Obviously she was very beautiful. He obviously went after beautiful women and she was young. And I think with some women, it was a case of, well, maybe I can change him or, you know, I'm attracted to him. I think he's good looking and 
Um, I like the way he talks and I like that I, I perceive a, that I could. That's a pathology, I think, among some women when they encounter these sort of, you know, uh, men who are uh, bad to them, let's say, right? You know, is that, oh, it, it's, they, they think that somehow that they can somehow affect that behavior or what you see this a battered wife syndrome, right? That they'll stand by the husband beating them. But just, just, just so you're that woman in her case, she basically was on a date with him and kind of just didn't like his energy and then left like, a, yeah. And then he kept yeah. bothering her. He kept he calling okay. her. And, so she and, could see it. She could sense something was wrong with him or at least didn't like him for some other reason right is that i think a lot of women did they were kind of like okay see you later dude a lot of women did. Interesting. and then other women thought i don't know you know these women they're type of women that bring home the birds with the broken wings right <laughs> yeah like we were talking about the battered wife you know this guy has good in him and i can bring it out and and that's actually not a bad thing like i think of having uh, if a woman commits to a man who does it's good for if, if a woman and a man and a woman are in a relationship and not, not everyone's perfect. I mean, this is not to um, excuse wife beating, obviously, but I mean, you can imagine situations where men are flawed and they're, and they have a woman who believes in them and that's not a bad thing and vice versa. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and then but you can't not fix malignant narcissism. Yeah. That's narcissism. <laughs> Yeah, it's, there's sort of a limit where it's like, okay, this guy's a narcissist or this guy is just a sicko and he's not going to change. So I got to pull my... Um, uh, well, there's something wrong with his brain. Right, right. Yeah, okay. There's something wrong with his brain, like probably the part of his brain that deals with violence and the part of his brain that deals with sexuality. They're probably situated too close together. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting theories. Joe Rogan was talking about how there's this critical period in adolescence where um, we form some of our sexual desires, let's say. It's like, I think between 12 and 14 or something like that. And how um, people, you know, there's a lot of studies on this. And there's, so it could be something, his, I'm talking about Gomeshi now, that he somehow was exposed to something like that at a young age and got into it somehow from there but i don't know that's also i don't mean to excuse his behavior if a person has a sicko thing where they like to attack women that's not a, a a sexual proclivity that should be permitted in any way right there's there are things there's there's forms of sexuality that we recognize as sexuality that we also recognize as wrong for example pedophilia like i mean sexuality a pedophile has a um, a real attraction to children right it's a it's yeah. It's, it's the same way that a person says, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gay or I'm this. It's the same type of like attraction, except that we recognize that as wrong, right? We look at that, yeah. that you know, that this is wrong for this reason. And you, you have this attraction, you need to shove it in a box or we're going to put you in a prison, right? If we catch yeah. you, basically, right? Um, so we're seeing that with Gomeshi. He had some sort of sexual pro proclivity that was wrong, so it was a bad form because it went against the, the the autonomy of other individuals of women right not to be beaten up you see the other thing is that he was enabled by a sick and decaying society because yeah. basically yeah. what happens what happened to him was uh you know he was in a rock band 
And then his star starts to rise and these women are coming out of the woodwork at him. And then we live in, and then things all through the nineties, the last 20 years, becoming more and more libertine all the time. And then we come to this, he comes to this um, crossroads where the CBC management comes to him and says, look, we've been hearing a lot of stories. And I think we're going to finally need some answers because the CBC CBC management was getting dogged by the Toronto Star reporters who were saying, will you care to comment? Would you care to comment? Would you care to comment? Jesse Brown, would you care to comment? And the rumors were flying. And the CBC, I guess, who was present at the time, at some point she's like, we got to face this down. We got to figure it out. And then they started saying to, to Gomeshi, we, we're going to have to sort of get answers to this because we're hearing a lot of rumors. And, you know, we're going to we're going to need to kind of nip this in the bud because they're asking us on a daily basis is, are you a sex offender? And Gomeshi kept on saying to them, yes, you know what, you know what, I am going to put your minds at ease. I'm going to put your mind at ease. And so they said, okay, so they finally had his meeting planned where he was going to put their minds at ease. And so he steps into this meeting and it's Gomeshi. And I don't know if he had his lawyer with him. And then there was the head of human resources. And then there was the president of the company. And I have to Google her name, but. So what did he uh, pose to them? So what he did was he said, he goes, okay, uh, you know, full disclosure. Yes, I like kinky sex. And but I'm going to prove to you with this tape that it's been entirely consensual. And then he proceeded to show a woman who's gay and a feminist, an, ac- an academic and head of the CDC. He basically showed her a tape of him beating the crap out of a woman in an effort to exonerate himself. This, this is, that's and incredible. That's Wow. So uh, who created that environment? Wow. That is just, incredible. okay. So, so just, I'm trying to understand why he would think that would exonerate. Like, like, well, look around you. Why would he think yeah. that? Take a look around you. First of all, everybody kept saying yes to the guy. Yes, 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 yes. Right. Uh, want a book deal. Want this, want that. Come and stay at my house. Um, uh, here's a raise. Screw Peter Mansbridge, old white guy. You interview Barbara Streisand. You're the star. And then women throwing themselves at him, throwing their phone numbers all the time. And then porn everywhere, everywhere. Unlimited porn. And an environment's like, hey, man, do what you feel. Sex is awesome. And a a hyper-sexualized environment. And don't judge me. Yeah. (laughs) And so... The yeah. guy walks in there under the impression that that so, him beating the crap out of so, a woman is so he, going to. Is, so sorry. he shows this video to them, and how yeah. do they respond? I mean, do they go what the what? They the, fired him. They've okay, so they they reacted with the proper. Um, um, what do I call that? They didn't go. Oh, okay, this guy's just a kinky dude likes to beat the crap no. out. Of hey, no, 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 no. They oh. fired him. They marched him out of the building. They said goodbye. Get out of here. We never want to see you again. 
That's actually the best thing I've heard about the CDC in a long, in a long time that they didn't, you know, I, I was kind of expecting a penny to drop like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's just kinky sex. And then, you know, and then people kept on. Well, that goes to show you what was on that, how horrifying whatever was on that tape. So yeah. he gets home, he gets home and obviously he's upset because he's lost his job. And, and then what does he do? He calls his damage control people and they say, they give him very bad advice. They tell him what you need to do is get out in front of it, get out in front of it. So he takes to Facebook and he announces, I've been, I've been fired from my job because I, because I like kinky sex. I, I remember and, that. I, I remember him making that statement. Like that's, and you know what happened uh, right after uh, he made that statement? I'm, no, actually, I don't recall. So yeah, go ahead, tell me. <laughs> well, the Toronto Star had been sitting on that story and the lawyers and they kept, and Jesse Brown, who had taken the story to the Toronto Star because he didn't want to reveal it on his own. He kept on saying, let's publish, let's publish, let's publish. And Toronto Star was like, oh, not yet, not yet, not yet. We need, we need our lawyers to sign off on it. We don't want to get ourselves in trouble. They're pretty gutless actually. And, um, and, but they just needed that something yeah extra proof yeah. because all they had really was first person accounts yes yeah, and yeah. when and the second the second gomeshi but all yeah they hit prince good and then good he was done that was done yeah interesting that's i you know i don't actually think it's so bad if the star i mean i i think that if the, the toronto star was careful i think that's probably a, that shows some sort of journalistic integrity they wanted to have um absolute proof in some senses you don't you know publishing rumors you see this a lot you see newspapers publishing things that are based on i mean it's matt taibbi talks about this all the time i don't know if you follow him the writer for rolling stone he talks about how journalism they're publishing things um you know that are based on like anonymous sources as though like to one anonymous source in the White House, and then they run a whole thing. And it's like, whoa, that not is not right. You don't run, you know, you don't run a, a, a very, very important accusation against someone with only one, or even what you really have to corroborate. Now, maybe they should have, maybe they had enough corroboration before that tweet. They should have ran it, maybe. But, um, okay. Uh, hello? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, another call just came in and I hit decline. Okay, good. All right, I want to move on to um, to the Will Smith thing because I, I have I really got the sense when that happened that it was kind of a turning point. So um, just to stake a little bit, you know, it was the Oscars, and um, you know there was a an award thing, and Chris Rock got up and he made a um, sort of a mild joke about. It, 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 the, it seems like it was almost a complimentary joke, as far as I could tell, because it was showing how she was this beautiful, yeah. that the, the G.I. Jane, you know, Demi Moore was this beautiful woman who was bald and she's a beautiful woman, you know, and she apparently didn't like the joke um, for reasons, maybe, maybe, I mean, just to give it a full steel man, maybe she really did think of it as an, uh, took it personally for her alopecia, I, I don't know, but let's put that to the side. And Will Smith, sort of was laughing at the joke and then he saw that his wife was unhappy so he walked up on the stage and physically assaulted Chris Rock got back down and continued yelling extremely um 
how shall I put this politely? Like a madman? <laughs> like a madman. And also using a lot of masculine black ghetto type. Um, how do I put that? You know, um, sort of street type uh, language in, in a way that was really uncool. Now, I remember I, I, I sort of watched my first impression when I saw it, because I, I woke up in the morning, I had no priming and I was sort of looking at my Facebook. I was half awake and I there was this thing, so Will Smith at Oscars, like I, I just clicked on it and I saw him do it. So I had nobody saying anything. And my first impression was it looked fake the way that his. Yeah, yeah. Thought maybe it was staged. And then, you know, and then some people actually eventually did make the claim that it could have been planned, except as the event unfolded, no other evidence came out that it was fake. So it could have been a conspiracy of those two guys that they could have said, hey, we're going to do this thing. To I somehow doubt that now, considering there's no corroborating evidence, but it could be true. But let's imagine it is real. Let's imagine that he did just use for the purposes of our discussion. It really is an incredible um you know, just a, a statement of a problem that if I were to say something, make an insulting comment to you, and you respond to me by physically assaulting me, and somehow that seems like a reasonable um, transaction in a certain way. That was the most incredible thing about the, about this. This the way people were saying, "Well, he insulted," you know, he ins Will Smith insulted his wife. That's wrong. That's what some people in my family were saying this. And, you know, so that's the first thing. I also found it very strange that he stayed like, you know, like I, I kind of assumed after it happened, I wasn't paying that much attention. And then my wife said, oh, yeah, then he got up and made this whole speech about how he's a vessel of love. And I was like, you know, he gave an incredibly self-aggrandizing speech about how he's a vessel of love. And this is great. Just absolutely. That was bad. It was bad. But my first reaction when Fanny told me was like, he was still there? Like, what was he doing? Well, you know, why didn't the security come up and say, Mr. Smith, it's time to go. Uh, we're taking you outside. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to, you need to leave now, you know? And to me, that says something. That's not a, um, a gender thing or anything. It's just the fact that he wasn't expelled. It's a strange sort of statement on a sort of a feudal aristocracy that is Hollywood, where they are kind of above the rules of the normal society. Like they, they do things, if you or I, I'm just imagine that, you know, you and I were part of a bowling club or something. So we're there at bowling night, you know, just, and they're giving up the awards or something, you know, just a little group of people. And sort of something like that happened. Someone got up to accept the bowling award and they made a joke and someone took offense. Someone even punched him in the face. Somebody would call the cops. Somebody would call the police, most likely, or at least that, <laughs> I mean, in a reasonable group of people, they would take the guy outside and say, look, you got to leave. You're not <laughs> right. I mean, I hope they would. at least. I think a reasonable group of people would say this person should not be welcome after physically assaulting his colleague, you know. So I don't know. There's no question there. I wonder what your reactions were to all that. I think it's interesting. We're still thinking about it and still talking about it all this all these weeks later. And there was obviously something very momentous very significant about it like I think, uh, so. I, I think that I think it was a, some sort of a turning point that's yeah uh, but I could especially know. when it it happened on the heels of all of these closures lockdowns pandemic like a boiling pot um, issues of race issues of gender um, where your place in Hollywood uh, it was an extraordinary 
and meaningful and impactful moment that most people won't forget. It's so funny, everyone's like, everyone's gonna remember the day that a woman got up in court and said that Donald Trump tried to commandeer the steering wheel of the beast. And we'll remember that in history. It's like, no, but I will remember will Smith. forever when, um, when uh, will smith did that it was such a flashpoint everybody can relate to that second when you lose control yeah. you lose control and you're not in control and it is fucking terrifying and Dangerous. obviously nature made us this way because yeah. <laughs> at some point completely losing control is going to come in handy for you usually belong in the realm of an animal with very frightening teeth, you lose control and you might have a chance, right? Yeah, and I think the most interesting thing that was said after that was said by Denzel Washington, who, you know, took Will Smith and 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 said, "The devil comes at your highest moment." I think that was a such a searingly brilliant and insightful thing to say. Can, can, I just, so can I just quickly ask you about that? Because I hadn't heard about that. I just want to say something quickly about Denzel Washington. To me, yeah. a beacon of rationality in Hollywood. I mean, there's, I don't know if you've seen these cases where he addresses uh, classes of, um, you know, universities where they're going to graduate. And he says, you know, he just gives these inspiring speeches and how, you know, and how fathers should be in the homes. And he's just, he's like a, and he's a total beacon of rationality and he's just an amazing, uh, he talks a lot about how people need to take responsibility for their actions. You know, when he gives these, I've seen a few of these where he addresses and he talks about father absence being a real problem, all the kinds of things you and I really care about. So I'm curious to know what, do you know, can you tell me more about him taking him aside, the context of what he told him, the devil comes, the devil goes, do you know anything more about it? Or was it just that one statement or? Well, obviously, I, I get the sense that uh, Denzel Washington, being older, wiser, um, probably has a, is it the word, is the word ministerial or ministering role um, to say, you know, two uh, very good looking, very successful black men in Hollywood who fought really hard yeah. to get where they are, both extremely talented, obviously, but one of them maybe had, is a little bit more emotional, emotionally processed and maybe that, that would Denzel. Be that would be Washington, obviously, more. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just to be clear, yeah, <laughs> that people understand, you don't mean that Will Smith is very well regulated emotionally, right? <laughs> yeah. No, and it's so sad because you know, there he was, the king, and he's a nice oh, I guy. Know. I know. I mean, and, he was also a great rapper. I mean, it, it, to me, it's so sad to see a guy who's, he's, I, I don't think he's as good of an actor as Denzel Washington, but he's no. an amazingly good actor. Uh, you know, he's very good, he, a real presence on screen and everything. And, you know. He seems like a genuinely nice guy. I think he had some kind of beef with Chris Rock before that. There was a bit of a, a pecking order thing there that men are always, men fall into these traps so much where it's sort of like they're always sizing somebody like, could I take him? Right. I think it's what they, they men ask themselves this with, yeah. with, women probably do it to a certain extent too, but I just automatically assume I can't take anybody. 
Look at these buggy whips, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to use my wits because they'll be screwed. Uh, but, but, but I just, think just to, just to linger on that point for a minute, I mean, you know, Chris Rock is like five foot six and extremely slight. It was a terrible look. There was the six foot two inch, very, very strong, big guy bullying this little guy. I mean, yeah. look at the pictures of it. The, the size difference is just incredible. And I thought that's terrible. If you are that big man, you shouldn't beat up the little guy just because you can. That's part of your job is not to, it, you know, in terms of if you're if you're good at using violence, one of the things you have to do is not to use it on an innocent uh, person who can't back. And that's kind of what we saw there. Rock did not resist. Them. Chris Rock has a real vulnerability about him too. I look at that guy and I see a vulnerability. He is like, um, you know, the shape, like uh, his archetype is the clown, right? Right. Which isn't to say a bad thing. The clown oh, is the wise one. Good thing. That's right. The clown exposes uh, bad behavior, and, right? And but, he's, but the clown tends to always be singing for his supper. You know, he's always, he's only as good as his last show. And Chris Rock has kind of a vulnerable look about him where yeah. um, Will Smith is dropping dazzling white teeth. I mean, he is a god. He's a physical yeah. god. And I think very, very much he, better looking. I mean, just if you look at the, their faces, Will Smith is a very, in my view, a very handsome. I'm not that I'm a good judge of men, but Chris Rock is not that good looking. No, he's not. I mean, he's not you bad know. looking. No, he's but, not he, but he's not. Will he's not Smith a, is, a, is a handsome individual. He, he's a god. You know, yeah, yeah. he is. He really is. He's an Adonis. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at, and, and I think it's almost like, it's almost like if you took it really down to like the playground, and you have this pecking order, and maybe the king of the castle would look over at some dorky guy who's very clever or whatever and think, you know, that kid just needs a punching. At some point, I'm gonna have to get around to finding a pretense to punch that kid, because I don't like his glasses, you know? Wow, and that's such an interesting observation. I hadn't thought of that, that maybe he, in a weird way, it's kind of like the, the big kid on the on the schoolyard being a bit jealous of the guy who can, who, because it's really hard to do. Comedy is probably the hardest art form that exists. Do you know? Yes. If you think about acting, acting is not that hard. Most actors, no. you, they Stand you there. say something. Have you ever heard the Jerry Seinfeld thing about, you know, to say what we told you to say, you know, <laughs> this is all they're doing, right? You know, <laughs> it's like they're not doing very much, you know, it's like, and other art forms, like, you know, learning to paint, you could, you know, it seems like you could do it. Music is, I mean, the most music, a lot of people could do it, but getting up on a stage and telling jokes, that is hard. the hardest thing to get good at. You have to suffer. And so- 10,000 hours. 10,000 oh, hours. 10, hours of humiliation. I think a lot of comedians yeah. have to be humiliated on stage in order to get good at their craft. Whereas Will Smith, you know, he's a rapper. He's a pretty good rapper. And how hard is that to be a good rapper? It's not easy, but it's, it's hard being a comedian. I, I don't think. I think being a comedian is really a difficult thing. So there could be a kind of a jealousy there. This little twerp of a guy can get up there and do stand up, and I could never do that. Would anybody laugh at Will Smith? Some people might, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't think he could do stand-up comedy. I, uh, you know, I think he could probably host an award show and be funny and jovial, but I'm not sure he could do stand-up comedy. I, I could be wrong. No. About, you know, I mean, you have you to know. write it. That's the thing. You're the yeah, one. Right. You've got to be the writer. 
That's right. He say the lines. I mean, when he was on Fresh Prince of Bel Air, he was pretty good at delivering lines and he was funny and everything, right? But actually, <laughs> being, a, actually being a comedian, he was great on that. You see old clips of that show. He's fantastic on that. He's this sort of recalcitrant teenager type with his hat on sideways and stuff. He was so good in that, you know? And anyway. He, he's a star through and through. Whoever took, you know, set eyes on him when he was 16 years old knew it. Apparently you can just tell, just you know, you knew. You took, yeah. yeah. Just look you and say, this guy's got it, you know? Yeah. And you know, you're going to see him again. And yeah. yet he probably couldn't be a stand-up comedian. I, I doubt he could be, although I don't know that for sure. I don't know if he's ever tried. I'll give you an example. Jim Carrey, of someone who really, who's, who has amazing talent, but is not a good stand-up comedian. Apparently he, in Los Angeles, he goes to the comedy store. He gets up on stage and starts to try and do stand-up comedy without doing anything with his face. And apparently he was terrible at it. He did this all the time. No one was laughing. Everyone's going, boo, you know? And, and it's amazing because apparently all he would have to do, this is according to Norm MacDonald, all he would have to do is just do one of his faces and everybody would just break into laughter, but he refused. He's like, no, I want to learn how to do this craft. I want to be able to do this thing that Norm MacDonald can do and that Chris Rock can do and that Larry David can do and that Jerry Seinfeld can do, you know, because it's extremely hard to do. And I want to prove that. And I my or maybe even he was tired of his old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like enough enough of making faces or whatever let's try something different right but i want enough chewing up the scenery yeah well i wonder if there's just to speak to your point about the jealousy there could be a weird deep jealousy in in will smith thinking i, I don't think it's jealousy i think no? it's or jealousy is not quite the wrong not quite the right word it's like pecking order you know right. pecking order and maybe he had a beef in the back of his mind and also um you know, just this confusion about where he stood. And also maybe Will Smith just isn't that bright because he walks up on, if he had a walk, I get it. I get people lose their temper and they do fucking crazy shit. And I, and should be, and it should be understood. Humans are like, look at us, you know, it's so complicated. (laughs) Yeah. But when he walked up on that stage and gave that speech that was self-aggrandizing and apologized to everybody, but Chris Rock was the, that was the most egregious. I mean, that was a horrible self-aggrandizing speech, but if he had just added and to Chris, not added, just walked up and say, this is all I got to say. Right. The the best, the best thing he could have done would be to get up and say, I made a huge mistake. I was, I'm sorry to Chris Rock. I apologize. And I'm going to leave the award here and leave that, but he could have gotten up and even done a self-aggrandizing speech, but included Brock in the, in the, he could have like, he could have even tacked it and it would have at least shown some form of uh control i think that i mean it, you know he still would have been criticized correctly that that he that he gave himself a speech, but there wasn't a single mention it was all about no. this vessel he went in love. for a rationalization he didn't yeah. know what just happened he wasn't ready it was on the like fly. It, it, if, if in fact it was a spontaneous thing and was not planned, which uh, we went on that assumption, he must have been making that speech up. As right, he must have been. He was totally yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, know, I, I yeah. I had a fight with my husband the other night, and he was in a bad mood, and something triggered him, and he kind of started to fight, and he knew he did, 
And he was kind of embarrassed about it. He's thinking, I'm still doing this at 60 years old. When is it going to end? And then, you know, he wants to apologize. And when you're dead. Proud to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's when those arguments are going to end. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just... No, but seriously, it's so true. Yeah, and he's so... thinking, he, he knew he was being kind of dick. But he didn't want to admit it, and I know now, and 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 uh, because it, it, you could like wake up the next day and really face that out and go, I don't, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I'm really sorry. Yeah. It requires you to be vulnerable. Very you hard. Don't know what, you don't know what the other person's going to say or how someone else is going to take it, and invariably, unless they're a psychopath, they're going to say that's okay. I understand. And I'm sorry too, the things I said back and I shouldn't have taken it so seriously, but what happens instead is they, they don't, the other person, they're thinking that the other person's going to say, yeah, what the fuck was the matter with you? If somebody does that, that's, that's, that actually does happen sometimes. Yes. That's 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 a tragedy when that happens, because, uh, you know, in theory, you could be deemed correct because you're an aggrieved party like let, let's say let's say will smith were to go and apologize to chris rock and rock said you know what will you're an asshole screw you in theory chris rock could do that you know yeah. the victim but that would just be so ungracious of him to do if will mm-hmm. come with a real uh, douglas murray talks a lot about how in our time with social media how we should do apologies and reintegration of people who've done wrong things. I think this is a really important discussion to have because you're pointing out how hard it is just two people in a marriage who are talking yeah. in the room. It's so hard to do, let alone in a public sphere where everybody's watching you. But there has to be someone. I would love to see Smith publicly make a statement, something like, you know what? I am deeply ashamed of what I did and I regret, I'd like to apologize to Chris Rock and I hope he forgives me, but I will understand if he does something like that. And genuinely like, you know, and then Chris Rock would likely, cause he seems like a real mensch to me, Chris Rock. I mean, he seems to have guy. very well, you know, in all this. And I, I would not be surprised to say, you know what, you know, Will, I really appreciate that. Maybe we can go have a beer and just get over it and move on. That would be so cool to see. Like, why aren't we seeing that? Why aren't we seeing, like, what is wrong with being a normal person in the world? I mean, I, by the way. Well, the Hollywood publicity machine wants it to go away. Yeah. They probably want. <laughs> yeah. Well, this weird thing of how they didn't kick him out at the moment and then a few you know a week later they banned him for 10 years it was like okay so you don't do the right thing at the moment then you ban him for 10 years for who's he hasn't even made that doesn't make any sense like that you know that was that he did not commit murder on the stage he did he did you know right he He murdered his own career (laughs) well no but he did something pretty bad but it was it was something that could have been like they, they again they could have said something like we would like, you know, Chris, they could have just issued a kind of an ad- advisory thing. It would be nice to see Mr. Smith make, a, you know, make amends for this or something. That would have opened the door to, instead of just, oh, we're going to ban him for 10 years because we're powerful Hollywood people and we are in control and blah, 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 you know, right? I mean, it's- well, somebody joked, hey, guess what, Oscars? We've already imposed a lifelong ban on ourselves. Yeah, never right. watched the Oscars again. 
or someone you know, else I, said I just, just was... want to speak about that quickly that was part of my immediate theory the live this was all going through my mind in those seconds as i watched the slap i thought nobody's watching the oscars anymore i at that moment that was my my like i was like hey the oscars are on like i it was the next morning and i'm watching will smith slap chris rock that was when i learned that the oscars were even on so i in my mind i had this flash of like boy they must be really desperate to get people to watch, you know, that they planned this weird thing. Look how fake it looks, you know. And it could just be that um, they revitalized their brand by accident because of, because it's not revitalized the wrong word, but rekindled focus on the Oscars through that. They they may have gotten. I would say so, except there was just one problem. That was the worst Oscars ever. And as I said in my Substack newsletter, that it was, it was egregious, it was tawdry, it was tacky, and then it reached this crescendo of vulgarity and coarseness with this slap. And I, I want, I want to say congratulations to, that, to you, Liz, for that piece. It was such a good piece. And anyone listening to this should go and read Google Liz Substack and read the piece about it because it was so well written and just uh, you compared the Oscars to these glamorous days in the 60s and you showed these. I loved it. It was great. These sort of dresses that they're wearing now that are kind of ugly. And then the, what uh, who was he at Audrey Hepburn, I think, in, in this. Was oh, well, but Amy Schumer comes out in that like awful awful thing with the decolletage and tacky silver bow on it it was a <laughs> metaphor for the whole night i said it totally looked like agree. it was off the rack at tj maxx <laughs> that like was a sale it. rack <laughs> and then you know throw throw your mind you show a picture of audrey hepburn in this she's all beautiful and thin and everything and she's wearing this backless it looks like a backless thing that she's mm -hmm glamorous in kiss. yeah it's just like wow that is so that it's like you have these images of people wearing tuxedos and then you know steve mcqueen or whatever the you know all these people in the audience go wow that that was like the oscars really meant something when the godfather was up for awards or whatever now we've got what x-men movies like i mean what, what are they even uh. I mean, it's like I don't even understand what Hollywood films are even really doing. I have there could be some that are good that I'm I'm sure I'm sure there are some good movies being made in Hollywood these days. Just to be clear, but um, you know, most, it's so funny how how most of the action you know, now is 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 series television. If you're looking at very very well produced uh, drama, right? So I just wanted to go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, what what what's interesting is everybody was so um, cautious about shrinking attention spans and. You know, people need more excitement and they need things to be shorter and and not so much depth because we total nonsense, nonsense. It's the opposite. <laughs> people, I know it's not breaking weird. bad. They want to get drawn into yes. a story that's going to be so complicated and interesting and complex, and they're going to spend ten hours, thirteen hours straight, gripped in front of their their flat screens, watching it. Right? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Right. That's, that's the problem with yeah. movies aren't too movies aren't too long. They're too short. And but, they're not they're not in depth enough. They're they're too shallow. A lot of these. Uh, yeah. So hard to pull it off now. I think in a way, TV kind of killed it. Sad. Yeah. yeah. 
there's a very interesting um, back and forth going on there because in the night in the '60s there was a period in the '60s when when movies really went downhill in the late '50s and early '60s, where the where the and ever and, and the reason was because television was still a new thing, old school TV. So everybody thought, oh, that's it for Hollywood or whatever. And then you come along in the late '60s, early '70s, The Godfather and Apocalypse, and all these kind of you know the George Lucas films, all these all these incredible filmmakers that went through. I think it was the University of California system somehow, and they reinvented cinema and they reinvented the experience of going to the movies and all this kind of stuff. And then we've seen something similar. I think in our time, it's partly because the TVs we have at home are amazingly good. I mean, we've got these, mm -hmm. of us have flat screen TVs that are fairly large that look really good and decent sound systems and everything. So you can actually get a sort of a cinema experience at home and the pausing that you can do at home. So therefore that enables, yeah. we, can, we can spend, you know, we can binge on, on uh, Breaking Bad or whatever it is, you know, and then and get drawn into a 13 hour story. That's one season, right? It's, it's actually what a, a hundred hour story, in fact, right? I mean, the, I, I totally just take your point that this idea that attention spans are short is such a lie. I mean, it's a mainstream media myth. I mean, <laughs> total nonsense. But anyway, uh, that kind of brings us full circle about about how we were talking at the beginning about how you can't take any assumption on face value. Yeah. Or just where they say, well, we can't make it that long. People have short attention spans. And it turns out they have no problem watching 15 hours of The Wire. So it's one of those Joe assumptions. Rogan. Joe Rogan, I'm just to, to think, three not, hours. listening to three-hour podcasts by a jock, basically, right? Who just asks good questions. No, I love Joe. I know. I mean, you know. It's just, it's this idea that, that, that people can't, you know, like if you, the media people making CNN and Fox and MSNBC, oh, we've got to get it down to 15 seconds. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> They're dying. They're dying. Yeah. They're yeah. over. Oh, it's funny you should say that. I was just thinking about that because I remember the mighty Q. I don't know if you guys have it. Get it in Montreal. It's uh, Q107. Q107. Toronto radio, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and this legendary DJ, John, uh, it's going to come to me. Anyway, I remember I was listening to that station. Sometimes they play some good tunes on there. Sure. And then in comes, in comes a DJ, and he's got that kind of sad voice, and he announces that Johnny Cash had died. And, um, you know, said he had the honor of meeting the guy and how sad he was. And then he gets to the end, and he goes, you know, I'm not gonna play his. I'm not gonna play a song because we don't play his kind of music on this station. And I was like, John, "You're John Dillinger. You're the king of this radio station. You're called Mighty Q, like Rock 107. You telling me you can't play Ring of Fire? Are you serious?" But obviously, it was outside of the script of hit the radio consultants who tell him. What to play and what not to play. It was kind of that second I thought, oh, this is all dead. This commercial radio is all dead. <laughs> yeah. Because look at us now. We could yeah. play Ring of Fire right now if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And we could do it. And it's like yeah. um they're so constrained. And that's why they're all dying. They're all dying. The constraints are killing them. My friend Dave Eddy. He wrote this absolutely fantastic story 
for Galaxy Brain, which is like this kind of online zine run by my friend, Michael Murray. He wrote this really long, beautiful piece about moving to the country. And it's like laugh out loud, funny in parts. And then it's very moving in other parts. And it's a beautiful piece of writing. And then he winds up writing the same story for Toronto Life. And it's like, eh, it was so, I don't know. It, was, it, felt, it, it felt like it, it, it was an out of, out of tune, you know, like you hit you the string. Can I ask yeah. you something about the technicalities of that? Was it shorter in the Toronto life? Well, obviously they, there, was, there, was, uh, there was length restraints, then there's lead times, then there's the printing, and then it goes through all these filters. But really what it comes down to is, what is the story that Toronto Life is looking for? Well, the story right. Toronto Life is looking for is real estate because real estate is what Toronto people talk about all the time, all day, every day. Big and yawn. For those of us in the rest of the country, that's a big yawn. When we hear Toronto is talking about real estate, it's anyway, sorry. I, I no, but seriously, it is. Yeah. So, and so what does it come down to? Um, it's mindset. So you can be an editor and say, I want my writer to write what is the truth for him or her. Right. Or you can say, well, what we really need to find out about is why is there so much honeydew melon in fruit salad? And, and it's like, and then, well, give me, get, get me 2000 words. <laughs> and so what the- I'm, I'm picturing a guy wearing a fedora, you know, with like a cigar going, we need 2,000 words on honeydew melons. Uh, you know, get, get McGraw out there in the supermarkets and uh, interviewing people and, you know. <laughs> um, can, I, can I just say something quickly about what you're saying? Because I had a similar experience with this. I, I wanna, I've only published two articles on arts and opinion, um, which hosts this website, uh, this uh, podcast, by the way. Um, arts and opinion is a fantastic online journal. It's had really big names like Noam Chomsky published on it. So I'm very honored to be a part of it. But my editor, Rob Lewis, was extremely kind with me, helped me edit. It's a very, very long piece. You helped me with that. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. It was my timer. I, okay. have, I, have to, okay. Okay. I have to go on a call, but finish. I've got a couple okay. of minutes still, because right. I think okay. it's going to so, be late. We'll, we'll close quickly, but I'll, um, um, in, in a second. But So I wrote that piece, and you helped me with that. And... Um, and anyway, eventually it's, it was published and people seemed to, you know, got onto Reddit. Response. Yeah. But I also sent it to the Montreal Gazette because it talks about issues to do with, you know, language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, they responded and said, wow, we, we may want to do something with this. But, but and which was, I mean, Rob said, wow, the fact that they responded was something. They must have, you know. Um, and but they wanted to, they said, well, we need to get it down to 600 words. So I started trying to work on it. And I was like, I can't get this thing down to six. It's just not a, yeah. I mean, I, I could, I, what I could do is I could take out all the kind of angry phone language issues that sort of come in, like the things that might, you know, inspire the Gazette readers and play up the linguistic fissures in Montreal, whatever. And I thought, I don't want to do that. I, I, I don't want to be a part of this whole you know, machine. Yeah, why? Get everybody angry about Bill 96. And just, I just, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to create a, um, a new idea of what it means to be a Becker and, you know, and be proud of, uh, you know, uh, and all that and whatever, and talk about these things honestly. And I don't want to 
it to be, I don't want to be adding to the problem by writing a 600 word piece that's just going to have people going, God damn it, those, you know, French Canadians and Quebecs <laughs> trying to shove their laws down our throats and everything. And I, by the way, I'm critical of Bill 96 for anyone listening. The search and seizure things are terrible and all that. I get that. But uh, but I'm not one of these people out there going, ah, they're trying to suppress our language and kill us. Ah, you know, I'm just, I'm just not like that. But okay, why don't we, I know we only got a few minutes left. You, you gave us a nice hard exit. So I want to, I want to close on some positive things about uh, yeah, I like positive. Yeah, <laughs> just because I actually made a note here, um, going towards the future to do with gender, we we sort of have drifted a lot away from it, but we, we can return to it now. Um, one of the positive things just about gender relations that I see um, is that women in our time really seem to be much better able to sculpt their lives the way they want to do their lives you know as far as i can see like compared to i mean if you go back to the obvious sort of stereotypical 50s time you know it's sort of like we had to go and get married and go and be, you know whatever so they've moved a lot of well, a, a lot of the way into women choosing what they want to do now one of the effects of that is women in the freest countries in the world like in scandinavian countries tend to choose more quote-unquote female dominated like this is Jordan Peterson talks about this, like in Scandinavia, where they've actually, you know, gotten women to be as equal as possible. If they see more sorting, where there's more male engineers and more women nurses somehow, you know, because the, because women are better able to choose what they want to do. Presumably, that's a hypothesis of why that's happening. I'm sure some feminists would say there's some, you know, hidden sexism in Sweden that must be forcing women to become nurses or something, right? Some sort of crazy hypothesis like that that might be a counter hypothesis. But that's something good. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention that I think is a good thing, and, um, and you can comment to close, is the issue of boys. We've touched on this throughout this. I mean, boys seem to be sort of, boys and men seem to be kind of forgotten in terms of what they um, might want to do. And, um, you know, the, the, it seems like a kind of like a masculinity, like, well, boys can take care of them, take care of themselves. And so can men, which I think is a good thing. I, I don't want somebody going, Oh, are you feeling okay? You, you know, I want to be able to take care of myself and be who I am without, you know, feeling like people need to be, feel sorry for me or try and help me. I mean, you know, not that I don't want help, but, um, but I, there's a, there are some issues of boys not pers not um, uh, you know doing well enough in the school system that are now coming to light. I'm sure you're following this, right? More girls are getting into university now, and all this kind of stuff. And there's oh, it's only girls. There's no white men left at university. It's weird. So so it's what's going on? So it's that's I, I doubt that's sexism. That's much more likely that it's something to do with girls are being encouraged more in the in the uh, in the lead up up to universities, and boys are I, I get I don't know because I mean when I came I had a, an argument with a friend about this the other day. I went to see her daughter was in a play, and in the play there was almost all girls. And I'm not, this is it was not not a problem. I was just like that's interesting. I noticed that it was like there was two boys out of like a cast of like you know. 30, 30 students or something that were in that. And I happened to comment on that. I said, hey, you know, um, that's interesting. It's mostly, she said, yeah. She said, the school is mostly girls. And this is a well-to-do school in Outremont where the um, parents are all affluent actors and, and actors. So I thought, well, if there's a thousand students in the school and it's 550, but it sounded like she was saying it was sort of six or it was sort of 60 or 70% were girls, which makes me think, 
what's going on? Are there more girls in the surrounding neighborhood? Are they, and uh, like, is it, and, and then as soon as I started asking these questions, my friends started to get very agitated when I started to, um, I thought, well, maybe it's because the society is more open to women these days. And she got very, very agitated. No, 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 no. Uh, it's equal for men and women. And it's just, no, no, no. but there was no explanation for why that school is 70% female or whatever, which, and I don't think there's any sexism. I, I, I don't know. I, like, I, I'm genuinely curious to know what is going on when these types of things are happening. What, you know, um, one hypothesis is that boys are dumb. I mean, that's because I said to my friend, that's one possibility. Maybe boys are just dumber than girls. And we're just finding out now after how many thousands of years. I don't think that's very realistic. But but I, but I, my point is, I think people are starting to be aware of this. My friend doesn't think this is a problem, but I think there's some sort of a problem. And I think there's more awareness that there's a kind of some sort of an issue there with boys. Um, what would you say to the, all of those rambling thoughts? You can close us up. It's, well, I think you're dealing with white boys and BIPOC boys, and that is, that's painting a very different picture. So, and it's alarming and it's freaky. And I think it's causing huge political divides. We just, this is a, such a big subject, but Look, what, look what's been happening to the white male over the last 20 years, completely sidelined. Look at the, I think this might actually just become the great issue of our time. This explains the rise of Donald Trump. It yeah. explains it completely right there. So 20 odd, 30 odd years ago, these Harvard MBAs who seem to create all the problems in the world, maybe we should be punishing white males, um, Harvard MBA said, get rid of <laughs> those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the they're the ones that. who said, you don't need to manufacture stuff. Just let that go to the developing world. Right. 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 And so suddenly we don't make anything. We don't make our own aspirin. We don't make anything. And yeah. then, oh, what happens in places like the Atlantic Northeast? Well, you get a lot of men who don't have any work. Yeah. And then you introduce a pharmaceutical pr product that goes directly to the pleasure centers of your brain. And then it rearranges your brain matter so that you will literally do anything to get your hands on it. And then all of a sudden, um, longevity starts to go in reverse. So for, for men, yeah, uh, male, male American um, of Caucasian ancestry, their life expectancy has gone down, as have Russian men as well. Uh, yeah, well, they drink too much. Yeah. No, I, it's I like, you're, touching, you're touching on something really important, which is that we sort of attacked all prejudice everywhere, which is great, but then there was sort of one group left over that not only was any prejudice not con condemned, but it was condoned. To be prejudiced towards males and especially white males was actually seen as sort of something, um, you know, uh, good. Like you know, because all these uh, affirmations that white men are the reason why the whole world is blah blah blah. And we we allowed that. Like I know myself, I sort of took that as just that must be normal and didn't really question it as an idea until I think all of the things you're talking about. This reaction all of a sudden, whoa, maybe that is having these negative. Like there could be these could be reactions to that 
behavior. Some people are like, screw you, I'm not a racist. Don't call me a racist. Like some of these, you know, Trump voters or whatever, some of them are like, if don't call me a racist unless you have evidence. And if you, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like, screw you, you know? Well, don't forget too that this war on men also caught up and it's dragnet uh, black men too. And I mean, George Floyd is a perfect example of that. You know, here was this tall, strong man. What was he doing hanging around the streets trying to pass off a fake 20? This guy should be with his family. He should be working his job, nine five. He's idle. He's got no work. He drifts from Texas up to Minnesota. That's this a is sad who... story. His, his life story of, of a guy, you know, just like had, I think he grew up in a very bad uh, part of, Alice, and then and then he fathered a couple of children. He got into crime. He just he just had this pathetic sort of a life where he didn't have any direction, and then he ended or purpose, no purpose. purpose. He had and he had no, and then and then he ends up addicted to drugs in his forties and trying. Yeah, to, but guess which drugs? Guess which it was, drugs? It was wasn't. It, I think it was um, the pills you're talking about, fentanyl, isn't it? He that that's Chinese made drug, and it pours into the American market via China. Yeah. Politicians won't put a stop to it because they don't want to offend China because they get paychecks from China. And yeah. he was yeah. suffering from the Wu flu. He was a Chinese made virus that had made him sick. He was trying to pass off a fake 20 or whatever. China is the one that floods the American market with counterfeit money. And he was aimless and jobless because there's no more manufacturing left from Texas to freaking Minnesota because the fucking McKinsey said send your manufacturing to China and now it's, it's, it's interesting because is there any room in there for clearly the um for a for racism to be part of it I don't think there's much room in that analysis uh for racism to be part of that part of what happened to him although it could because the proposition the proposition on the other side would be that the cops are racist and they target black men and well, they might, they might, I mean, some of that, the, right? you know, that's possible. That, yeah. That's definitely yeah. possible that their, their, their eye shot goes out and sees maybe what they wouldn't see if it was a white guy. Yeah, that's sort and, of not impossible, but all of these factors you're mentioning are, are, are really kind of deeper um, problems to do with a kind of, like you're talking about, first of all, you're mentioning an adversary that we should be more attentive to, that is the, the Chinese Communist Party, that they're, that, that there's an, you're proposing, which I think there's probably some evidence for this, that they're attempting to weaken um, both the United States and Canada, and I think there's probably a lot of evidence for that, uh, and that's part of I don't blame them. Why wouldn't you? They're smart. Well, I mean, the world, I mean, if you're looking at the world of nation states, it is a bit of a battleground, right? China. Yeah. And, and read the history of the opium. Read the history of the opium wars. <laughs> right. That's a, I was just going to mention that, that it's kind of a, a, a last laugh on us. I mean, that's what the British did in China in the 19th century. They, they brought in opium and all the, you know, created a nation of drug addicts. And then now that's a similar, seems to be that there's a strategy going on with fentanyl. But um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I know you have to go. I, I really wanted to close on a, on a more positive note, but but I will say that um, I, I do see a lot of positive going on in terms of, I hear a lot of people talking about, like just the thing with China you mentioned, up until the last few years, nobody mentioned China as a threat, you know? 
it's uh, it was sort of seen as a as just they were making too much money off of it to mention it. Yeah, as yeah, and and I'm convinced and that it has, that has changed. I mean, I think it was Trump who basically was the first one to say, you know what, this is this is something that could be dangerous to our people, right? He was the first one to kind of openly say these things and get them, you know. And of course, they attacked him for being a racist and all that. But then now, that's actually fairly not unmainstream at this point that people are talking about the Chinese communists as, as, a, as a real threat. So, so I see those things as- A threat. The Chinese Communist Party is an international crime syndicate. Yeah. They're very evil. And, yeah. They're also, oh. also using the, the dollars that are, you know, that they're basically, they're selling stuff to us. They're using those dollars, focusing on building a military machine. And that's, and we all know this, this is not secret. They're developing, and I mean, you could say from their point of view, that's a reasonable thing to do. They wanna have more hegemony in the South China Sea. Eventually that is gonna be a threat to, to liberal democracy, you know? And, it's, and, and, I th and I think more people are talking about it. I think that that's as a, uh, which I think is a good thing because I, I really wanted to, uh, to, to end on some sort of positive thing. So. Um, listen, Liz, uh, I know you have to go. I can see you uh, checking your, I, I saw you checking your phone there. It looks like- Oh, I was just, they were asking me, when am I going to call? So I just told yeah. them I just need a few minutes. Okay. So I, I know you have to go. So um, I want to thank you again. I, I, it, we, we drifted away from the, um, from the, the objective of this affair, but which is fine, but uh, maybe, maybe in future we could come back to it because I wanted to talk about um, some other things to do with feminism and also to do with Johnny Depp and we didn't even get a chance to, <laughs> to touch those things we got we got off but it's it's all good okay so I want to thank you again for coming on the, the Mega Blast podcast Johnny, De Johnny Depp yeah 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 okay thank you for having me we could just sit here and shoot the breeze all day I don't think we'd ever run out of stuff to talk about I don't think so <laughs> okay so, I don't want people to get bored of me you know what Liz I didn't hit record. I can't believe this. It says record. It's recording. Oh, it is. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm going to have to edit that one out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's guest on the Mega Blast Podcast. I've been your host, Jason McDonald. This podcast is brought to you by Arts and Opinion, an online journal, which is also available in the permanent archives of Canada. Visit us online at artsandopinion.com. 